Well, um, as you have already picked up in um, a couple different ways, this has been uh, a difficult week here at uh, the church. A lot of uh, broken and frustrated and uh, confused people. We, uh, we long for, we pray for, we work toward a world um, that is better than the world we live in. Uh, we long for and look forward to um, a world that is much better than we deserve. And remarkably, uh, that world has been secured for us and promised to us by Christ. Those who are in Christ have been told that he has gone ahead of us to prepare a place for us, a world that works, where uh, sin and evil do not have a hold, where God's will is done, where there is no injustice, where there isn't broken hearts and, and broken lives. Between now and then, uh, there is a lot of pain and uh, frustration and, and brokenness. And some, some weeks we're more aware of that than others. Um, the, call, the, the call that goes to us is uh, to do everything we can to bring that world here now, to, to, to work towards the, the expansion of the kingdom of God. To, to bring that grace and the truth and the teaching and to, to live like Christ in a way that, that spreads hope and life. We are to proclaim the good news of God's love and forgiveness of sins, and we are to serve other people. We are to engage in good works, and we are especially to serve those who have been pushed down in some way. Um, I, I just want to step back and say uh, thank you to the many people who stepped up this week. Um, as, as you may or may not know, Sherry and I were, were out of the country uh, for the four days during which these three deaths occurred. Uh, we left uh, not just this most recent Friday, but um, the Friday before that we went down to the Dominican Republic to visit Austin, our, our son, who's uh, there with the Peace Corps, and we had three wonderful days with him. He's, uh, he's doing well, and we spent a day on his site, uh, the Batay, the, the slum where he works. It's about a thousand people in this area, and they call him, uh, they, can't, they, don't, they don't know the name Austin, so they call him Augustine, which they pronounce Augustine. Uh, and the little kids call him tween, and he walks down the street, and everybody runs out, and he's uh, sort of the Pied Piper of that uh, area. So it's great to see him. It is a slum. It's hard, uh, but it was good to see him doing good work. But we were gone from uh, Friday until uh, Tuesday, and it was during that stretch that, uh, that these three lives were lost. And so I very much had a backseat to what was going on. And when we came back into the country, what I noticed was that um, everything that could be done was being done, if not once, it was being done two and three different times. People had stepped up just across the board, staff, elders, deacons, small groups. Everybody was just stepping up and serving and, uh, and being the body of Christ. And it was very encouraging uh, to see that. We need each other. Sometimes we're more aware of that than others. Uh, and so uh, this past week, more aware of it, and it was encouraging to see 
uh, people step up. So thanks to all of you who did or all of you who tried. I know I said to many people, I don't know of anything (laughs) that you can do. It's being done. I don't know what I can do at this moment. So uh, there's just everything's being done. So I'm praying, uh, we'll continue to pray, that, that uh, the difficulties that we face will make us more Christ-like. We will be reminded of what matters and the many things that don't, and uh, we will be softer and more gracious and more, uh, more bold in sharing uh, the hope that is within us. Well... <clears throat> I want to change directions now and, um, and turn uh, us towards the text that I am going to preach on. And what I would like to do is to read you the introduction to a sermon that I preached 16 years ago on this passage. So I'm going to read this introduction. History was made this week at the Woodruff home, Jason Daniel all seven months and 16 pounds of him became mobile. J-Bug, as he is affectionately called, has mastered a commando crawl that would make a Marine proud. He stays low to the ground in his tireless pursuit of electric sockets, the fireplace, plants, and everything else we try to keep away from him. I don't know how long it's been since you've been around a seven-month-old, but he's quite fascinating to watch. I find myself wondering, why is he doing that? What is he thinking about? Does he know that he's a person? Does, when did he learn to recognize his name? Why does he laugh at the stupidest things? How does he process sights and sounds? What does he remember from day to day? How does he think and what does he think about? I'm not curious because I believe his thinking is in any way profound or noble. Even with all my vanity, as a dad, I can't help but notice that he's not met anything he wouldn't try to put in his mouth. I'm curious about his thinking in part because he's my son, but in part because I believe that who he will become is going to be determined almost entirely on how well he thinks and what he chooses to think about. Well, um... Jason is almost 17 now. Uh, He's progressed beyond the uh, commando crawl. Uh, Doesn't try to put everything in his mouth, although uh, in full disclosure here, Sherry and I frequently do find ourselves very puzzled by his thinking or um, lack thereof. But uh, my point is, for Jason and for you and for me, for all of us, Our lives will be determined, shaped, our souls will be formed by what we choose to think about. How well we think and what we choose to think about. The Apostle Paul makes this point in the passage that we are looking at uh, today. He is going to call us to write thinking and then to write actions And make it clear that the second follows the first. So, if you want to turn to Philippians chapter 4, I will remind you that uh, this is where we've been for a while. And that the the overarching topic so far has been peace. Uh, Peace within the church. Peace uh, with God. Peace in our own hearts. And for, for Paul... 
this very much grows out of the fact that we are citizens of heaven. And heaven and eternity change everything for Paul's way of thinking. Certainly should change how we should be acting. Uh, The last time I spoke, it was on anxiety and worry. And that grew out of Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Let me read that. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul now moves on, giving us further counsel about how not to be anxious. And this grows out of directing our thoughts in positive directions. So, verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice And the God of peace will be with you. We're going to be thinking about thinking. This process whereby we consider something. We examine uh, ideas and assumptions. We wrestle with them. We take an account of them. We fix our mind on them. Blaise Pascal referred to thinking as uh, an inner dialogue, a conversation that we have with ourselves, And I want us to think about that conversation that we are having with ourselves. We'll do that both this week and next. Today, I have three points that I want to make. Number one, we are expected to think. Thinking is assumed. Now, by this, I do not simply mean that anyone who has thought about it has realized that it is in one sense sort of impossible not to be entertaining some idea at any given moment. We we can't turn off our mind. The screen never goes blank. We can... can, uh, we can go to sleep, but we may dream. We, we can go passive. We can, we can simply stop critically I- I evaluating the things that we're being told and just be led, right? Whether that's by a person or by a TV show or a book. I mean, we can be passive. But we can't just turn our mind off. The, the screen never goes blank. And that's part of the reason why Paul doesn't just say, don't be anxious, right? He gives us something to be, right? Don't think about the things that that make you concerned and stressed. He says, think about the things that are noble and true and right and pure and lovely and admirable and excellent or praiseworthy. So he's coaching us of what to think about. But when I say thinking is assumed, I don't mean that the screen never goes blank. What I mean is, God expects us to think. This is is implied in a number of ways. First of all, he made us... (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) (coughs) 
One of the things that I brought back from the Dominican Republic <laughs> were two ear infections and no voice. So, um, sorry about that. The fact that we are to think is implied in part by the fact that we were made in God's image, not as the strongest or fastest or biggest creatures, but as the smartest. We are, we are aware, we think at a level that nothing else that God created is able to think. The, the, the implication that we are to think also grows out of the way God revealed himself to us, not just through an orderly world that he created, but through a book, right, which we are expected to read. We are expected to study. It's, it sort of just follows that if God has told us the most important things, that those who love God are, are going to use their mind to understand more about him and who he is and what he's like and what he expects. So we see that thinking is uh, implied. But thinking is also actually commanded. In uh, this Philippians passage, uh, we're told to think. And, and the truth is, it's not just Paul who does this, and he will do this in numerous other places. This, this, is, this is what the Jews under, understood from way back. If we go to uh, Psalm chapter 1, <coughs> you will see that it opens, the Psalms open. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of, scoff, of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. We are called to meditate. This is a, a particular kind of thinking. Joshua says the same thing. The book of Joshua opens, chapter 1, verse 8, saying, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night. Now, some Christians are a little bit nervous about meditation. They think it's an Eastern thing. Uh, it, that's not the case. Um, we are called to meditate. Uh, Eastern Meditation, the meditation of Hinduism and Buddhism is, is at least popularly explained as, as a process of emptying your mind. That's not what Christian meditation is. We're not, we're not trying to calm ourselves down by, by emptying our mind of all thoughts. We are to focus our, our thinking on, on God or some attribute of his character or on things that are true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, or praiseworthy. Right? We, we are to meditate on things that are good. And, and so one of the things that you see in history is that the Jews have always been among the most educated people at any time. And they were the most educated in large part because... They wanted to understand more about God. And they wanted, they wanted to understand more about his law that he had given to them in a book. And so the synagogue was a place that they gathered on the Sabbath for prayer and community and, and for uh, reading of, of the law and for preaching, teaching. But during the week, the synagogue was a school. 
And, and uh, the, the, the children, in particular the boys, were, uh, were trained every day with the expectation that they would learn about the law, they would learn about the prophets, they would learn what God had revealed to them, and that every Jewish boy was expected to memorize the first five books of the Bible by the time they were 12. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And those boys who had memorized the entire Hebrew Scriptures, the entire Old Testament, by the time they were 12, were those who were given the opportunity to go become rabbis. And for the next 18 years, they would then be a disciple of a rabbi. They would be being coached and schooled. The education uh, was, was just primary for the Jews because they understood we have been called to think. And, and Jesus did nothing except uh, sort of heighten this. If we look at uh, uh, Matthew, when Jesus is um, being questioned by a lawyer, probably a trick question, but, but this young lawyer says, uh, you know, teacher, uh, rabbi, uh, what's the greatest commandment? Right? And Jesus responds by uh, quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, uh, which is something that the Jews would say every morning and every night. Pious Jews would say it every morning and every night, right? Uh, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And uh, this, was, this was to them even more so than uh, for some people, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. They would just say this over and over every day. So when the young lawyer asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? He quotes Deuteronomy 6, 5. Except he changes it. He doesn't say, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Right? He, he elevates thinking. We are to use our mind. It is assumed it is it is commanded it is expected of us thinking is a god ordained activity point number 2 our thoughts matter to god we are not simply told to think we are expected to think in certain ways or about certain things in second corinthians the apostle paul tells us that we are to hold every thought captive to Christ. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus makes it clear that it's not just what we say and do that matters. It's what we think. Right? In, uh, in Matthew chapter 5, uh, verse 21, Jesus is preaching. You have heard it that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Or down in verse 27, you have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus is making the point that, that it's our thoughts that matter. Not just what we say, not just what we do, what we think matters to God. Now, uh, this drove, uh, this particular point drove Christopher Hitchens 
crazy. Hitchens, uh, the late sort of British wit and writer and um, uh, curmudgeon and, um, and relatively uh, famous anti-theist. Uh, Hitchens, who wrote the book God is Not Great and was debating everyone, re- recently passed away. But Hitchens uh, said he wasn't just an atheist. It's not just that he didn't believe in God. He was an anti-theist. He was against those who did believe in God. Well, uh, I heard Hitchens, have read some of his books and watched some of his debates. He's, you know, wickedly smart and funny. Uh, and uh, so I watched some of his debates, and at one point, something like this came up, and he said, you know, you Christians, I mean, it's like worse than North Korea. He said, this is when Kim Jong-il was still president of North Korea, he goes, Kim Jong-il controls the North Koreans. They can't, they, they can't say anything out of line. They can't do anything out of line. He goes, but at least they can think what they want. And he goes, you guys... He goes, you know, you don't, even get a, you don't even get to think what you want without being worried that, that God is going to judge you. And Hitchens was, was very frustrated by this. He, of course, understood that his thoughts, like mine, are full of pride and greed and lust and anger and ambition and fear. And the idea that those thoughts would be known by God was horrifying to him. Now, he didn't tragically fully understand the, the absolute wonder that God knows the worst about us and loves us all the same, because this is a love uh, won through Christ. And, and so it, he, he didn't fully understand the freedom that actually comes from a recognition that we're not hiding anything from God. If God knew the truth about us, if God knew what we were really like, if God knew what we really thought, he'd be horrified. No, he knows the worst. And he loves us all the same. The good news and the bad news is that everything about you matters to God. Everything everywhere matters to God, and everything about you, including your thoughts, matter to God. And that leads to the third point. Point number one, we are expected to think. Point number two, our thoughts matter to God. Point number three, our thoughts matter to us. You are what you think about. You are who you are today, and you are where you are today as a result of the things you thought about five years ago. And what you're thinking about right now is just as certainly shaping both your soul and your future. For better or worse, we are what we think. Which means that all the conversations you're in, all the books that you read, the Bible studies that you're in, and the scripture that you memorize, the TV shows and the movies that you watch, The conversations you have in your own mind, all of these things are shaping your soul and determining your course. And if they are good, right, if they are true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, or praiseworthy, we go in one direction. And if they are vile and wicked and greedy and angry and lustful and other things, we go in another direction. 
I mean, garbage in, garbage out. It's, it's really that simple. Now, I don't want to suggest that it's easy. Okay? It's that simple, but it's not easy because we are broken. We are, we are small-minded. We are full of pride and sin. So our thoughts aren't always good thoughts. And we like bad thoughts. And, and it's easier to go in that direction. Uh, I, I, I don't want to suggest that it's easy, but it really is that simple. We are what we think about. So a thought, reap an action. So that action, reap a habit. So that habit, reap a lifestyle. So that lifestyle, reap a character. So that character, reap a destiny. You want to control your destiny? Control your character. You want to control your character? Control your lifestyle. You want to control your lifestyle? Control your habits. You want to control your habits? Control your actions. You want to control your actions? Control your thoughts. That is what we are being coached to do. If you want to put a like a $49 word on this, uh, you can call it neuro-linguistic programming. That's a Tony Robbins term. Tony Robbins, uh, Anthony Robbins is the sort of the motivational speaker, peak performance guy, and about 20 years ago, my aunt went in big for Tony Robbins. Uh, not altogether surprising, every Christmas when they would come up, my aunt would be big into something. Uh, usually some really bizarre diet or some uh, crazy business or hobby. Uh, one year it was Anthony Robbins. And so I didn't think anything of it except my uncle, who's a skeptic and a Ph.D. from Johns Hopkins in science, uh, and usually didn't have much to do with, with wherever his wife was headed, he was into Tony Robbins. So I spent $49, and I got a tape series from Tony Robbins. And, um, and it, you know, it's, it's, uh, there's a lot of hype and a lot of hot air and some really crazy bad ideas, I think, in there as well. But the big the, the nugget, the whole thing that he was packaging around was neuro-linguistic programming. Neuro-brain, linguistic conversation programming. And he was just saying, you have to change your thoughts. Change your thoughts, you will change your life. Change what you think about, you will change your direction. And that point is a, is a biblical truth. Right? We, we are, what we think about today shapes our soul. And it determines our future. I have a, an article that I uh, have that I photocopied um, in 1987 and have kept in my file since then. It's called, I Says to Myself, Says I. And it's written by uh, Dennis Kinlaw, who at the time was the editor of Christianity Today. And he opens by talking about um, thinking being this conversation we carry on with ourself. And then he talks about some of the conversations he's had with himself uh, down through the years. And uh, some frustrations that he's had with his uh, conversation partner down through those years. And then he says this, The years have passed, and I have learned more about that inner dialogue. I know what a pain it can be when somebody inside wants to talk about the most distressing subjects at the most inappropriate times. I also know 
about the inner voices to chant for introducing subject matter into that inner dialogue that is totally inappropriate to the occasion. At times, there seems to be little sense of the holy. I have found a surprising thing, though, about that inner person. He is strangely unoriginal. He seems to be little more than an echo who shouts back only what he has heard me say or what I have permitted him to see or hear. The result is that I see now the crucial importance of the care and feeding of my inner self. Men and women, we are expected to think. Our thoughts matter to God. Our thoughts matter to us. They shape us. They shape us in profound ways. They form our soul and chart our future. Everyone wins except our enemy, the adversary, when we are determined to think about things that are true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy. Let me pray for us. Lord God Almighty, we thank you for the gift of thinking, the minds that you have given us. And we confess that we have uh, not always used them as we should. And we confess that our thoughts often go in exactly the wrong direction. We thank you for the forgiveness that is ours in Christ. And we pray, Spirit of God, that we truly can learn better every day how to hold every thought captive to Christ so that we might be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.